Tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley. This part of the program is not suitable for sensitive listeners and for anyone under the age of 18. Note that the views expressed on this show are not that of the station or the presenter. Closet Conversations. Let's welcome uh, Dr. Anthony Smith, who's a family physician and a medical sexologist. Thank you very much for joining us once again, Dr. Smith. Good evening, Patricia, and hello to all the listeners. We are talking today depression or mental illness and sexuality. And I think it's it's very relevant for us to be looking at how our sexuality is impacted by our mental state. Is it possible, Dr. Smith, that, um, you know, one who has not been diagnosed with depression or anxiety can see immediate changes in their sexual behavior, sexual desire and pattern? Patricia, absolutely. I mean, I want to start off by saying that the problems with mental health and problems with sexuality are really incredibly tightly intertwined with each other. Um, they've got a very, very close relationship. And I think as we speak this evening, we're going to, it's going to unfold as to the many, many complex ways in which this happens. Um, but really to answer your question, um, it, it's often the case that the first thing that somebody will experience is a problem in their sexual relationship, in their performance sexually, or their experience of themselves as a sexual person as the tip of the iceberg of a problem that they're experiencing in their mental world, in their mental health. And there's, there's many different kinds of mental health problems that can impact on your sexuality, on your sexual development, on your sexual self-esteem, and your capacity to be able to have a pleasurable and enjoyable sex life. Now, does this also include mild depression and anxiety? I mean, you, you'll hear a person complaining that their partner is always saying they've got a headache uh, when it's time to get intimate. Could this possibly be because there's some sort of, not always depression, but some sort of mild mental issue um, or condition or situation that's hindering them from enjoying sexual interactions? Yes, Patricia, absolutely. I think you're, you're asking about the, the type of changes in one's mental health that maybe don't reach the level of severity to be a diagnosed mental health problem. Yeah. But the, the kinds of changes that everybody goes through at different times, often in response to stress or conflict or difficulties in your relationships, problems at work, dips in your self-esteem. And this is, this is really the, the minefield that every healthy adult will, uh, adolescent adult, will need to negotiate in terms of their sexual lives because your sexual life is intertwined into your greater life. It, it really is like a, it's threaded through. So if you're experiencing any of those things that I mentioned, they are likely to exhibit themselves within your uh, your, your relationship with your partner and your sexual relationship with your partner. And for example, if, if it's a relationship issue, if there's a degree of conflict um, or perhaps there's some anger building up in your relationship, um, this can manifest right there and then with a, a problem maybe with erectile function or a diminishment of desire or, or just having a bad day um, so that, that uh, your, your performance is compromised. So this is something that everybody's negotiating all the time. 
um, and you have a good day and you have a bad day. And I think that's pretty normal and people should be reassured about that. All right, A-teamers, let's uh, converse. Are you facing any uh, mental uh, situations, whether they are diagnosed or not, um, some anxiety, stress perhaps, depression, and how is it affecting your sexuality? We've got Dr. Anthony Smith on the line so he can weigh in and assist us to navigate through these things. 011-714-2006 is the number to dial, or you can WhatsApp 614 SMS is go to 41391 and they are charged at 1 rand 50. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10pm till midnight. Closet Conversations. Hey teamers, we are talking depression, anxiety, mental health and how it affects your sexuality. Our guest is Dr. Anthony Smith and you can WhatsApp 0614-104-107. Dr. Smith, I've already got a a WhatsApp here from an ATMO who says, I haven't seen my partner for over 19 months, though we talk. My sleeping patterns have changed. I've lost appetite for sex. Is it a mental thing or what? So, Patricia, it's it's, a, it's just a little bit of information to go on. Um, but what does strike me about this caller's issue is that his, his appetites, and you know, appetite can be for so many different things. You can have an appetite for food. You can have an appetite for activity, for going out into the world. Of course, you can have an appetite for sex. So if somebody is starting to have experience that their appetites are diminishing, that their motivations to go into the world and interact and to either interact with a partner that they already have or a partner that they're still looking for, um, their, their life energy, if it's starting to diminish, then as a, as a doctor, as a, a clinician, I would be worried that they are suffering from some form of depression. The hallmark of depression is the incapacity to feel pleasure. And pleasure is at the center of what we are looking for and what satisfies us in sexual activity. So, this gentleman is cut off from his relationship and not only from sex, but from intimacy as well. So when we speak about sex, we're also speaking about intimacy to a greater or lesser degree. And it's very important to understand that sexual activity gives us intimacy and makes us happy and not having it also diminishes from the quality of your life. But my concern over here would be that this particular man is getting a little bit depressed. And when you're depressed, your libido goes. You don't feel like having sex um, many, many times. Um, so I, I think I would be interested to hear a little bit more about this, this gentleman, but, but certainly that would be one of, one of my concerns in the situation. Though depression can, ironically, sometimes also cause an increase in sexual behavior. So, for example, if somebody is feeling very low, they may look to treat their depression by seeking out sexual activity which maybe means looking for different partners or maybe as we discussed last time uh you know forming some kind of unhealthy relationship with pornography for example so desire can change uh, but most likely in depression you're going to get desire diminishing and that's both for men and for women now so it's 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 a difference for everyone different strokes for different folks but mental health definitely does have an impact on sexuality how does one who has a diagnosed uh, mental condition like a depression or anxiety and is on antidepressants how does that cause um 
and oh, does it cause any effect on uh, one's sexual performance? Absolutely, absolutely. And this is this is where the danger can arise: is that if you've been diagnosed with a, a mental health disorder, be it anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, and of course, there's a whole range of different other mental uh, disorders, whether they be personality disorders or substance. Uh, misuse disorders, we can go into some of those, um, your chances are that you'll be prescribed a medication that's got a large chance of interacting and affecting your sexual activity. So the most common antidepressant that's being used uh, at the moment is what's called an SSRI, and it affects the serotonergic system within the brain. And this causes a whole variety of sexual dysfunction. So it can potentially, not with everybody, but with a, a, a relatively large percentage, cause diminished interest in sex. For men, it can be erectile dysfunction or delay in ejaculation. And these are all potentially problems. So there are ways of getting around this. And this is what you need to be discussing with your doctor if you are being treated for anxiety or depression and you're on an antidepressant, which is causing your uh, libido to diminish and for you to just kind of feel dead sexually. Patients often say, I just have no interest. They're feeling happier. They're feeling less anxious, but they're also feeling like they just have no interest in sex whatsoever. And key to that would be speaking to their doctor and asking them to prescribe a medication that has less effects on sexual function. And there are a small group of antidepressants which are notably less affecting of your sexual drive and your capacity to have an erection if you're a man. Um, And these can then be very, very effective antidepressants and preserve your sexual dysfunction. So these are important conversations to have with with your doctor. But of course, there's many, many other reasons for why you may be having a mental health disorder or a treatment with it, and you're also concurrently experiencing a sexual health problem. It may just be that you have lost confidence. It may be that you're putting on weight and that you are unfit and that your self-esteem and your relationship with your body has become so kind of out of kilter and out of balance but you just don't really want to be engaged in sexual activity at all. So it really is there's so many different factors to this, uh, and one has to look at it quite holistically. It's clear that uh, our sexuality is linked to self. I mean, you speak of self-esteem, um, mm. changes. So if yes. if you are not okay sexually, you will not be okay. It's either you'll go to the one extreme to be uh, less sexual or the next extreme to be extremely hypersexual. And this is something that's... Uh, a clear indicator if someone is at a point where their sexual behavior is is really different from what was normal to them how do they communicate the 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 differences to their partner because clearly they're in a relationship with someone uh, or even if it's with themselves how do they communicate it so that their partner can give them support well the biggest thing which really screams at you when you put the subject of sexual health and mental health in the same box is that both of them are shaming conditions. You know, this concept of shame and feeling shamed is so central to who we are as human beings and how we react into the world because we're all social beings and we we see ourselves in relation to the people around us, our partners, our families and society as a whole. And two of the most shaming aspects of the self that can occur to you is to have a mental disease, to feel broken mentally, to feel stigmatized because there's something wrong with your mind, and to have a sexual dysfunction. You're less of a woman, you're less of a man, you can't perform adequately, 
Now, these are all things which are caused deep, deep distress. And it's really interesting because for both of these, whether they be sexual problems or mental health problems, people have a lot of difficulty in discussing them. In fact, they have a massive, both doctors and patients have a very, very hard time discussing these with each other. So you can imagine that it's sometimes really, really hard for uh, a person to be able to discuss their sexual health issues with their with their partner. So what what really helps here is the capacity to to feel trust and to bond intimately with your partner and to be able to speak to them about the things which are on your mind and to feel safe with them, to create a level of safety whereby you are able to say, well, listen, I've got a problem with my sexual health. And at the same time, you know, I've got a problem because I'm feeling low, I'm feeling down. And then you're able to discuss either of those in order to come to a, a shared conclusion and a shared a treatment plan or management plan or, a, or an approach of some kind. But the, the biggest problem is if you keep it quiet, you tuck it under the bed, uh, under the pillow, you don't show the light of day to this problem and then it grows. It's like a little seed which you put into a garden bed and very soon that seed just grows into a big plant and a tree and then soon a forest of trees and you're stuck in the middle and you've no way of knowing how to negotiate yourself out of this. So communicating, talking, and being able to express and understand together so that you can help each other out of whatever sexual or mental health issue you find yourself in is really the the magic pathway out of that forest. Well, we definitely don't want to be in a forest that bears a bit of food. A-teamers, join us as we talk depression, anxiety, and mental health conditions that can affect your sexuality. Our guest is Dr. Anthony Smith, who is a family physician and a medical sexologist. Call in on 011-714-2006 if you've got questions or comments, or you can WhatsApp on 0614-104-107. SMSs go to 41391. These are the Closet Conversations. Evening all. So, I hear the doctors link between depression and low libido, but I'd like to know orgasm. So, ever since I've had sex, now I've been diagnosed with um, with depression for since 2013. I was 17 at that time, but I broke my virginity when I was 23. But even ever since, I haven't reached an orgasm till today. Does possibly depression have anything to do with it? Dr. Smith? Yes. Yes. Thank you for that question because it's true. We haven't talked about orgasm. And um, orgasm is at the basis of what it means to to experience pleasure in in sexual activity. Um, And one has to think of orgasm as being almost like a point on a journey that you take as you build yourself and you wind your way through the feeling of sexuality, building yourself up through the cycle to the point where you feel that burst of pleasure. And you need to have a cultivated route which gets you to that point. So the things that start obstructing you in that point can be many when it comes to mental illness and to depression in particular. So the first thing that I want to ask is, you know, before mental illness, what was the state of the capacity to reach orgasm prior to getting depressed? Because that would be able to tell you quite a lot. And it would be if if it was the case that that anybody was reaching orgasm quite easily before they had their sexual their mental health problem, then I'd want to ask what specifically happened to break it off. Because well, in, in in the case of this particular a teamer, she mentions that she was diagnosed at the age of seventeen, and right. then at the age of twenty three, that's when she broke her virginity. 
So uh, clearly she had no sexual interactions before her diagnosis and, and the treatment that she's on. So years later, she still can't reach orgasm. So wh- how can then she, you know, know whether it's the depression and the medication or it's something else that's stopping her from reaching orgasm? Well, you know, I wouldn't take it for granted that she didn't have the capacity or could have reached orgasm prior to that because it could have been achieved through masturbation at an earlier age. So, so that is a possibility. But let's just say that it wasn't the case. It means that that pathway just wasn't really developed properly. So one almost has to go back to the basics in order to cultivate it. But the question of antidepressants is incredibly important. So it's really, if there's an obstacle like maybe an antidepressant, uh, which could be changed, or maybe there's been some kind of physical experience which has come in the the way of a clear pathway towards orgasm, Um, maybe there's been some kind of other illness or concomitant problem or association with sexuality as a whole. So, so one has to look at the different kinds of domains. Depression specifically, you know, you would want to ask, has the depression been treated successfully? So is this caller now out of depression and feeling a lot better from that point of view? But overall, the biggest thing which I probably want to look for first would be firstly the medication, but also secondly, whether underlying all of this is some kind of problem like a thyroid issue or a deficiency in a vitamin or maybe there's uh, something uh, similar to this where there's an experience of pain during uh, the menstrual cycle, all things which will act as obstacles to being able to freely release into, into orgasm. And of course, when you're depressed, as, I, as I've mentioned earlier, sometimes you put on weights and you lose that relationship with yourself, which sees yourself as a sexual person. And that has to be regained somehow. You need to find a way to see yourself as a sexual person. And if, as this caller, uh, is mentioning she didn't really have um, a pre-existing uh, relationship for quite a while. She lost her virginity when she was 23. So during the formative years, when she was developing her sexual identity, she was depressed, and this got in the this got in the in the way of being able to uh, form a, a healthy baseline from which to work. Let's go to a voice note from one of our A-teamers. Uh, good evening, SAFM and SAFM listeners. I was to the, remain anonymous. Okay, I'm a long-distance trucker. I'm 53 years old, and uh, by the age of 35, I was already booked into alcohol rehab twice. I didn't know why I still turned to alcohol at that stage. It was only the second time around when I was booked into rehab, and I realized that I was uh, suffering from depression. It was only after I heard another person sharing uh, her story that I realized that I was also uh, suffering with uh, depression. And you know, this is a very bad uh, thing. Uh, If it's not treated, it can actually uh, destroy you, destroy your family and everyone else around you. Sure, thank you for sharing with us there, Anonymous A-Teamer. Depression is really one of those silent killers, isn't it, uh, Dr. Smith? Oh, Patricia, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, he, he, the, the, the listener makes such a valuable point that depression is such an unshaped, foggy, 
difficult to define entity um, or state of being that many people experience the world in this gray dark way without even realizing that they have depression and slowly but surely their lives also they become less effective they are suffering their relationships and their work suffers and if it happens slowly over a period of time and maybe this particular listener had self-medicated with with alcohol if if i heard correctly um and so that in addition acted as a barrier to being able to realize that the underlying problem was that of depression. But depression really comes cloaked in so many different camouflages that, that one really needs to be able to sometimes catch it out of the side of your eye and then to define it and know and accept that you have the problem um, is really the, the important thing to be able to get treatment for that. Um, so I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm so pleased that this uh, listener has, has pointed this out and um, has really uh, sh- showcased uh, how important it is to be able to reflect to see whether some other problems you're having are actually caused by depression which hasn't been diagnosed. Mm. And and I think, you know, when it comes to um, mental health, if we are not honest with ourselves, our partners are the ones that feel the brunt. The people in our lives are the ones that feel the brunt. If we have, um, you know, we don't even want to go, we're in denial, we don't want to go and seek help. It will start on a personal level, then go into the sexual level, and then whew, things get very messy. Well, that's, that's exactly right, um, because it, it tends to just curl into the different elements of your life. And if you don't watch for it and you don't have a way of being able to deal with it, you don't have a language. And I think this is the thing within relationships is that you, you can tell that certain couples, uh, certain relationships, uh, people within relationships don't have the capacity to be able to reflect and then have a language to be able to deal with difficulties when they arise. And as a result, they just lurk at the bottom and then they become a little bit more complicated. They become those forests, ultimately, that we talked about. So one always has to be vigilant, maybe not all the time, because uh, that can just distract from your quality of life. But out of the corner of your eye, you need to be aware of the kinds of forces that can come out of nowhere and cause you to be um, to, to be suffering from any of these, anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder can present itself in unusual ways. And, of course, other other problems like... Um, OCD or even ADHD are all issues which can manifest themselves in your relationship and in your sexual relationship as well. So I always, I always think you, you need, as a couple, you need to have a language with which to discuss these kinds of difficult things and you need to have practiced it in order to be effective and efficient in it. And you know, everybody can spend time where they, they look at certain things and they practice, even if they're small issues using your words to be able to explore them and create that, that feeling of safety in your relationship so that you can unpack the problems and then you have trust so that when a big problem comes along, a big sexual problem or some kind of mental health crisis, you feel that you're secure within your relationship to be able to unpack them and feel supported so that you can get through those particular challenges. Here's a message here from uh, an A-teamer, uh, uh, Koteng from Douglas in the Northern Cape. Koteng says, uh, Patricia, I sent you a message last night regarding the cheating girlfriend and the whole uh, STD issue. Well, I caught her red-handed in the house I rent. Then she got mad at me for not knocking. Next thing you know, I get kicked out. The guy I caught her with got invited back in. After some time, my bag gets thrown in the streets. Is that a form of mental health? 
Sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. Kwateng is, is, is faced with a, a serious issue. So yesterday he did send us a message saying uh, he suspects that his girlfriend might have an STD and uh, he knows that she's cheating. Now he found her red-handed. Sure. Okay. Um, well, there's not enough information there to suggest a mental health problem. There certainly could be, but there's nothing from that particular story to say that there's a clear mental health issue. Um, I mean, this comes down to personality issues, really, and to how you, you deal with your, your maybe impulsivity issues, maybe uh, issues with empathy, with trust, with taking responsibility. Um, it seems that interpersonal dynamics here are at play, which may be a reflection of certain kinds of mood issues, but I can't see on the face of it clear mental health issues. I mean, it's definitely the case that there's certain mental health problems which cause you to become more promiscuous. You know, we've talked about sexual addiction before, whereby certain people respond to anxiety and depression by inappropriately seeking um, other partners uh, and then become defensive about it and don't seem to have the insight about it. But then there's also those who are going through a manic phase of their bipolar illness, whereby they become hypersexual. And often in those kinds of scenarios, a partnership can be broken up when the one partner starts to inappropriately seek out other partners, not because they're addicted, but because they've got this incredible drive and almost can't help themselves due to impulsivity to act out their, uh, their sexuality. And uh, they may at the same time be gambling or shopping or be kind of very frenetic uh, or be using various substances in a mindless type of way as they gripped within the mania of bipolar disorder. So there are a number of different mental health disorders which could lie beneath of this. But it also just could be some uh, bad behavior, uh, just that basic. Mm. Now, if a, if a man is experiencing uh, the extreme of depression, perhaps, and uh, they, is it possible that they could start experiencing uh, weak erections or, uh, you know, a shorter mm. uh, durations mm. of sex and performance? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, depression will affect you at every stage of of sexual activity, what's called the sexual response cycle. I mean, I'm going to take you back even just a little bit before you get to the point where you're worrying about your erection. Imagine a depressed man at home who doesn't have a partner. Just being depressed is going to demotivate him from finding a sexual partner uh, to go out and look, and then he's going to find somebody to be able to approach and be motivated to be able to have the self-esteem to be able to uh, link up with that person. And then just say they are linking up and he's got to find the desire, the sexual desire, which depression is going to meet. But then if we're talking about erections specifically, it's all part of the cycle is that if you're not feeling su- uh, sufficiently uh, libidinous, if your libido isn't high enough, if your sexual energy isn't high enough, if you're not feeling good and confident about yourself, and if you start then thinking, and you know how it is with people who are depressed, they're often thinking in their thoughts, they're trapped in their thinking about things, they're reflecting on how difficult things could maybe be, they're worrying about the future, and then within their sexual activity, within they, 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 they're having sex, and they're getting an erection, and suddenly it gets into their mind, oh, maybe I won't get an erection. And as the thought enters into their mind, they're sorry, they suddenly worry about it, and of course that worry just totally bursts the bubble and causes the erection to fall. So on lots of different levels, if you're depressed and a little bit anxious maybe as well, your sexual performance can really be affected negatively. Um, so across the board, lots of different ways.
Mm. A-teamers, as we talk depression and anxiety, how it affects your sexuality, please interact with us on 011-714-2006. Ask your questions via WhatsApp on 0614-104-107 or SMS 41391. Late Night Conversations, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. My babo. All right. Uh, we're still here. We're still here. We're still here with uh, Dr. Anthony Smith. Uh, doctor, I've got a, a very um, lengthy but quite uh, sad uh, WhatsApp here, and I hope that we can help this A-teamer. It says, good evening, Patricia and Doctor. My name is Mac Norton. I have been married since the year 1991. We have two not-so-small kids anymore, as they are both so grown up, and I have always thought we were happily married. Lately, my wife indicated, out of the blue, that she feels insecure with me because my family hates her and they are practicing witchcraft on her. I took it simply, but she is consistent on her claims. We have uh, spoken about it, involved both our families, but remains steadfast. People are now suggesting she may have developed a mental condition, but she does everything without any problem. Her work and everything else are perfectly done. Could this be the case? Wow, that really does sound like a complicated situation. And it really does sound like this news came as a massive shock to McNaughton, to the the listener um, who has uh, texted you. So... I think, you know, a mental condition generally isn't just something which somebody will say they've got or said of them. There's usually quite clear evidence in the way that they're thinking, the way they're behaving, and the kinds of things that they're doing. So if you are depressed, if you're truly depressed, you you feel sad, and you act sad, and you can see that this person is sad. In the same way, if you're anxious, you are on edge. You're not sleeping. You 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 may have panic. A whole variety. So... To, to, to diagnose a mental health condition, there really does need to be evidence of a, of a clear mental health condition to be able to justify this. Now, sometimes people do things which are very, very unexpected and maybe out of character. And the immediate thought to say is that they're mad or something crazy happened to them or something, um, I don't know, clearly out of their mind to have come up with something like this. Now, if there are a variety of strange behaviors and strange thoughts that this woman, uh, the wife of McNaughton, is feeling. For example, she has a number of other strange ideas in terms of people watching her or feeling suspicious or claiming that he's having affairs whereby he's not having affairs. One could maybe make an argument that she's having some type of delusional issue. But if it's the case that she's just making very narrow claims and very, very specific then it could just be the fact that over many, many years, she's been building up a whole tide of resentment and something small came along, uh, something camouflaged within the relationship, which then broke that dam. And all of that negative energy, which had been behind the dam for such a long time, came breaking out and was there. So I'd be very interested to know how she'd been feeling and where these feelings were in the time prior to her making these claims. I can say that relationships with your step family or your, your not your necessarily step family but your uh, married family um, can be incredibly powerful in defining the relationship with your partner 
they can have really incredibly negative effects over long periods of time and can manifest in strong resentment to that partner. And so these can be toxic things, which if they aren't dealt with as the problems arise, can often manifest with these kinds of quite explosive crises like you're explaining over here. But I have to say that it is the case that sometimes within long relationships which are domestically solid and there's children and you're getting on with your everyday life, some of the cracks go unseen. Um, you kind of don't look away. Sometimes you choose to look away. Um, they, they really are there in, in, in full sight to be seen, but you choose not to see them. So I wonder if there weren't other signs prior to this which could have revealed that this relationship was going to go into a very difficult period of time. But the mental state specifically may not be referring to a mental condition, but it may be a time of this woman's life. You know, during developmental stages, we all go through different de developmental stages where certain things become more important. And you could argue that when the children are older, when one is reaching maybe the menopause, the change of life, where you're reassessing your life, maybe you're thinking that you want something different. And during this time, these thoughts come together and then they manifest with large claims and big differences in your life that you want to claim for yourself. So this may not be a mental illness as much as just a change of mental state. Hmm. A lot to consider. What What should they do? Should they go and consult with a, a medical practitioner so that they, they rule out all possibilities? No, I think I think the important thing here is to try to figure out what each person wants. Now, what what, what does McNaughton want? What does his wife want? Because if she wants the relationship, it becomes a lot easier. Then you look at the obstacles, and you can then negotiate towards a shared objective. If she doesn't want the relationship, then one needs to look to see why doesn't she want it and to what degree is she certain that she doesn't want it. Because if you interrogate that and you see that there may be misunderstandings or things that can be worked on, because one loses so much when you break up a relationship of many, many years and it should not be done lightly. So the approach should be to, to, to communicate with each other. And if you can't do it yourselves, to seek a relationship therapist to be able to do that with. And it'll become very clear that there's, if there is a mental health disorder when they're speaking to um, a relationship counselor of some kind. But in this kind of case, every effort should be made to understand what has led to this. And even if it is the case that this relationship should ultimately dissolve, going through the process of unpacking where, what happened where so that everybody can understand it and everything can be made transparent. And maybe some reparations need to be made some compromises and some apologies need to be made and maybe a different orientation towards relationships to the family has to be made. But it can be a massive opportunity for growth within a relationship if they can get back on the same track together. Let me go to Anonymous. Uh, my Anonymous, good evening. Good evening to both of you, your guests and yourself. I just want to inquire if you have um, uh, depression, uh, any form of depression, uh, would you uh, would you end up with an, any form of illness like uh, you know a stroke or um, uh, cancer or high insulin levels or hypertension? Um, and the doctor can elaborate on that. Thank you very much, uh, okay. Anonymous. Have a Thank good evening. You. Listen on the Bye. radio. Thank you, Patricia. Yes, I, I was not entirely certain if it was a question about whether those those conditions could be the result of mental illness or, or depression or whether they gave depression or, or just whether in general there was a relationship between them. Um, 
And I, I think maybe it's worthwhile answering it in in the way that I phrased it in, in that last instance, which is that any chronic illness which involves your taking medication, which involves a change in your state of being, um, you, you know, your, your physical fitness, will affect your quality of life and can cause you to, to feel depressed. And then it's men who are getting older, bigger, uh, a little bit more obese and maybe suffering a heart attack or having difficulties with regulating their blood sugars often will become more lethargic. Certainly, they suffer from erectile dysfunction much more frequently. They may have lost that verve and vigor of their younger lives and depression becomes much more, much more common. But the interaction of chronic illness and mental health is a very, very intimate one because both affects the other one. If you're depressed, you tend to eat less, you exercise less, you look after yourself less, and then you become more prone to all of the various metabolic conditions and difficulties with our bodies. We don't uh, exercise our minds and our brains sufficiently. And then the other thing, the other way it occurs as well. If you are overweight, you've got blood pressure, you're on a whole lot of medication for your heart, maybe diabetic medication as well, that will also have a negative effect on your uh, mental health. So mental health and physical health are reciprocal. And often to improve your mental health, you can improve your physical health. And to improve your physical health, you can try to improve your mental health. So they really do exist in a continuum with each other, which really, um, this idea that they are totally separate really needs to be put aside. They very much interact with each other. This uh, message here um, from an anonymous who's saying, my problem is premature ejaculation. What can I use to stop this? And is it linked to depression? Yes. Okay. So we haven't talked about premature ejaculation, and this is really, really an important one. There's, there is an association with premature ejaculation and anxiety. Um, and if you if you're anxious enough, or you've had this problem for long enough, you may certainly become depressed. Um, so that you, you and as this problem continues it can really cause difficulties with your self-esteem, your, your feeling and your capacity to be able to uh, satisfy your partner. Very, very often men don't feel bad for themselves. They feel bad for their partners because they feel that they're letting them down. And even, this is even when their partners are very patient and are very kind and loving with them and giving them every chance, they still feeling that internal pressure to, to want to satisfy them and feeling very disappointed and uh, lacking in masculinity and virility as a result. And of course, this all exacerbates the, the, the problem. And there's a whole range of different things that one can do for premature ejaculation, which I won't necessarily go into now. But the thing that I did want to focus on in the intersection between premature ejaculation and depression is the use of antidepressants. Because very ironically, the group which I mentioned earlier, SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and this is like Prozac, um, examples are Sucremol, Silift, um, uh, Zoloft. These medicines help depression, but they also have the side effect of delaying orgasm. So what we do in practice is we sometimes use low doses of this antidepressant in order to help people to ejaculate a little bit later. But by itself, this isn't the only therapy. It needs to be combined with therapies which make you reassess your relationship pleasure and also the tendency that people tend to have to kind of disappear from their sexual activity and watch themselves as they have an erection, fearful of the fact that they're going to have a, an early ejaculation. 
And then they kind of lose touch with their partners so that their partners uh, start complaining that they're not really having sex with the person, they're just having sex with the penis, which isn't even working that well. So it's a complex subject, but definitely one that interacts quite interestingly with depression. Doc, I've got uh, uh, voice notes that are coming in here. Um, Let me just confirm with Ben if uh, the voice note is okay. Um, So, McNaughton also sent us a message, but the message is so long, we can't play it on air. I wish we could give him a call and uh, find out from him what he wants to to say to us as a follow-up. And uh, then we'll be able to just, you know, assist him further. But uh, on another note, here's a voice note that we can go to. Hello, Patricia, and the guest there. Uh, me, I have a problem. Uh, my sexual desire is differs uh, in two phases. When I'm sober-minded, my sex drive and my sex desire is uh, low. But when I get drunk, I feel so very and super sex active. So I want to ask your guest there if at any chance alcohol affects the mentality of sex or maybe it's my uh, natural problem, I don't know. Because when I just dry, I just get drunk, I become so super active in sex. But if I'm sober, I have a problem of uh, be active. So I will thank you for that help. Hmm, Doc, is yes. it possible that uh, you've got two sexual personalities? Low, very low libido when you're sober, and once you're a bit intoxicated, you are viral. <laughs> oh, my word. You know, I, I think we've got, we've all got so many different potentials within us. You know, we've got, we like crystals. We've got different facets which can be brought out depending on what direction you turn that crystal towards. And so there are some people who do change remarkably, not necessarily only sexually, but just in their personalities. And I think we all know those kinds of people who once they become disinhibited, once they take alcohol or they drink alcohol and that part of their brain, which is acting as, a, as an inhibitor, as a kind of a smotherer to them, gets taken away. They start to act in a disinhibited way. They can be the life of the party, dancing on the tables, making jokes and having much more courage, um, disinhibition than they would normally have. And then what you're getting is a different facet of the same personality. You aren't getting it. It's not a different person emerging. It's the same person but emerging in different conditions. And it's really not unusual for people to feel more disinhibited and to feel slightly more free so that they can be a little bit less, should I say, inhibited about sexuality and about um, their, their, their sex. Um, and often this can enhance sexual activity um, in the short term at least, not necessarily in the long term. I mean, this is often how adolescents in the in early grappling effects of uh, finding out what uh, sex is all about, we'll do it often in, the, in a semi-inebriated state. Um, because inhibitions, whether they're social inhibitions, familial inhibitions, individual self-inhibitions, are the things which make it quite difficult to, for people to be able to perform. And remember, for a man, you know, you're out there, 
in your full glory, there's a lot of performance anxiety associated with what's happening. And you need to get beyond that to be able to uh, be confident and find your way within uh, your sexual relationship. So I think this is a particularly exaggerated case of somebody who gets in touch with a particularly wild sexual persona and is able to act that out, feeling more confident and feeling a little bit more um, kind of powerful with the disinhibiting effects of alcohol. My advice would be to try reconcile these two parts, to maybe find ways of building a bridge between the two of them. Because if it were to continue for too long, you'd find that there will be an alienation, that you'll, th- this person will feel that um, he can't have sex or he can't approach somebody unless he's very drunk and will lose his confidence under those circumstances. And this will perpetuate a very unhealthy relationship with alcohol. So I think it'd be a good idea to try reconcile these two differing aspects of himself, but they definitely are not different personalities. They are the same person, just under different circumstances. And how does a couple restore intimacy if uh, depression or anxiety has uh, built a, a drift between the two lovers? You know, this is, this is an important one. Sometimes it's the case that one partner is anxious or depressed and the other isn't. What could be the case that both of them are anxious and depressed? Um, and these are slightly different scenarios. But my first thought is that you really do need to um, address the underlying mental health disorder as the primary problem. And that may be seeing a doctor, seeing a psychiatrist, a mental health professional, in order to get to the bottom of that. Because untended, these mental health issues act as blinders, they blankets, they just confound your relationships and make them infinitely more complicated than they need to be. So the first step really, I think, is to be able to acknowledge openly and to be able to solicit your partner's help and support in being able to get through this mental health issue. Um, and also to get what's called psychoeducation, because many people really don't have enough understanding and information about depression. Many people actually see it as a weakness, either if it's themselves who are depressed or their partner. And they may need to be sitting down with somebody, be it a therapist or a doctor, who is able to explain to them that being depressed or having gone through a period of depression is incredibly natural for the vast majority of human beings within the course of their lives. And this is a capacity that the brain has, and often it's associated with very real um, reasons, and that there are ways to negotiate your way out of it, there are ways of treating it and emerging out of it the other side. So I think one has to um, utilize these moments of what often can be crisis to deepen the relationship and the intimacy, because if you're able to get through something like this with your partner and speak to them meaningfully, often you come out of it with a much stronger, stronger bond, which then will endure for a longer period of time. There's opportunities in these crises which must be grasped, but it is complex and it is difficult. And sometimes a depression, a personality issue, a mental health issue will drive a relationship such that it really doesn't survive. Um, and sometimes it's better that it doesn't survive. So, you know, who's to say relationships are exceptionally complicated? Dr. Anthony Smith, thank you so very much for joining us once again. You've shed light on a topic that's very sensitive, but I think one that we do need to constantly talk about so that we can get the needed help. For our A-teamers who'd like to be in touch with you, how do we do so? The best thing is to go onto my website, dranthonysmith.co.za, and to to email me if you wish. 
And yes, I think that's probably going to be the best way. But Patricia, thank you very much for having me tonight. It's always a pleasure to answer questions and to uh, get a sense of what your listeners are engaging on. Thank you so very much. We're really grateful for your time and your wisdom and knowledge. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, teamers, that uh, signs off uh, the this week's edition of Late Night Conversations. You know, we're back on Monday, but we don't leave you isolated, alone, desolated. That's all we do here on SAFM. We'll leave you with great music. And at 3 a.m., trust, Asanda Beta is coming in to give you sun, uh, sound awake. So make sure you tuned in. And, yeah, we can always communicate via social media platforms at SAFM Radio at Patricia and Uli from this side of the A-team. May goodness and grace lead you to the great heights of success.